Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls, Conversations for the Jewish Woman. Good morning, and welcome to this episode of Bodies and Souls. Your host for today is Rifki Boyarski. And Sarah Lowenthal. Um, today we have Faye Lieberman joining us all the way from England, and we're so excited because this is a topic that I feel is very important now in the climate of Eretz Israel, and we just finished our three-part series on the mitzvahs of a woman, um, and I think this is a really natural transition into the next step, and I think especially in the climate today, where women are strengthening themselves and covering their hairs, and you see all over in different communities, women are starting to cover their hair inside their house with a tichel, with a sheto, so I think that it's a natural next step for a lot of women who are thinking, what can I do to help my brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael? So hopefully, as we go through our conversation today, we're going to get a depth of understanding for this powerful mitzvah, um, and we're going to walk away feeling inspired and empowered. So Figgy, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into doing what you're doing? Okay, so I'm Figgy Lieberman. I live in England. My husband is, and I've been a Robin Robertson here in London now for about nearly 40 years, about 38 years. Before that, we lived in there, we got married in Montreal for a year and a half. Um, I've been teaching for many years and I taught many, many colours. And uh, one of the colours came to me once and said that she wants to cover her hair, but she didn't know very much about it. Um, she still wanted to wear uh, trousers, which is pants by you. So she didn't know if that was hypocritical and uh, she wanted to know. Now, I had I looked around for books and I couldn't find any books that covered the topic properly. So I started collating material myself. Uh, at that time, I had very, very little material. But I, I gave her, I, I learned with her at the end of the color classes, I learned with her about hair covering and Barsham, she covered her hair. And then afterwards, I offered it to every color. And slowly, words started going around, and I did classes all over London, uh, outside of London as well, and really, really um, connect to this mitzvah. I think it's absolutely, the more I learn about it myself, the more I uh, find it incredible and such as chus. Um, I'm now in the process, not now, I've been doing this for many years, in the process of writing a book because I found that there's not one book that goes across the board. And also I found I've given a lot of these classes to um, modern Orthodox groups or people who are starting. It's amazing when people come up to me in all sorts of places and say, uh, I'm covering my hair after your share. I do it in depth with sources. And uh, so I, I decided I'm going to try and write a book, but writing a book is much harder than speaking. So it's taking a long time. But I hope Mr. Sham, it'll get there. And I think that what's going to pop out to a lot of people is what popped out to me. And I think a lot of people who are living in insulated communities where we see a lot of people who are like us and observing like us, when we see people observing things that are so specific, like hair covering, um, and we see that maybe they might not be keeping other things, like they're wearing pants and then they're hair covering. And I think you see a lot of that more in like Israel or, you know, places where, there's a little bit more of differentiation in how the expression is of your Yiddishkeit. So maybe that makes yeah. more sense. But I think people probably would be taken aback to hear that there are women who are covering their hair and covering their hair fully, but they might not be at an observance level that you expect them to be. Why? How? Like, what would you explain the hair covering? What is this mitzvah? And how is it really a standalone mitzvah that it can be that you're struggling with other areas, but you're covering your hair? Okay, so a lot of people conflate uh, hair covering with sneers and say that you uncovers hair because it's sneers. Sneers is definitely part of it, as I'll explain a little bit later, but that's not the reason specifically we cover our hair the reason is it's actually a mitzvah uh tzniyas is more of a midah and i'll explain the difference soon and there is a command to uh the shulchan Aro says um a woman has should not go perua but roish bashuk she should not go in a public place with her hair uncovered a married woman and and many many other sources as well um so it is definitely um, an obligation for a woman to cover her hair and if i just traced it a little bit through um from the beginning i like to look at the source and go from the beginning so when um, when Adam and Chava were in Gan Eden, as we know, they were not they were not clothed. They were their, their bodies and the neshamas, their souls were completely as one. There was no there was no uh, difference between how they reflected their feelings in their bodies and their souls. In fact, the Rebbe says that uh, the most personal parts were as holy as the tefillin, the arm that puts them to fill in. And it says in the Torah, "Vayis by Shashi, they were not they were not ashamed." 
after Eastman Eats Hadas, something changed and it, they, they, they hid and Hashem did the first chesed, um, open chesed for them and made clothing for them. And it's interesting because the word for clothing is levush and the word for shame is loibosh, okay, not be ashamed. And the, the concept of shame is, you know, what is shame? Shame is not guilt. Shame is when the neshama and the guf do not feel aligned. Before the chet, they felt aligned. So just for clarity, chet, for people who are listening, your neshama is your soul and your guf is your body. That's right, yeah. The another word for clothing is beged, which also is similar to the word bogad, which means to betray, because clothing can betray the real you. So when people cover themselves, they're not covering their bodies, they are revealing the essence of their souls. So it's much deeper than just putting something over your body. So Ozem and Chava, as a result of losing that connection between body and soul, they then had different tikkunim, different rectifications they had to undertake in order to bring themselves back to that place. So Adam, Adams were very much connected to his ability to provide pranasa, so he had to work the ground and things connected to that. And Chava, um, his wife, was very much connected to her personal, to her marriage, to bearing children, and also to her personal comportment. So the Gemara in a, the, the Talmud in a Ruvin tells us that one of the 10 things that Chava had to do was atufa ke'evel. She had to cover herself like a mourner. And Rashi explains that to mean that she had to um, she had to cover her hair. And the reason is when when God created her, her hair, he he took her hair and, and he presented to Adam with her hair he's in a sort of a braid and a spire. And and the, the Gemara says actually that um, when it says Vayiven Eschava, he built her. And in the seaside towns, they used to called call uh they used to use the word vayiven as in building and he built a spy in a head and that hair that hair represented the discipline that she could hold the, the boundaries that she could maintain in her home once they sinned that went and that's one of the things that has to be rectified through women there are different things that have to rectify through men and so Chava had to, from that moment on, a woman had to cover her hair. And we see that that continued through history. Um, Sarah, uh, Mother Sarah, she was in the, she was a very, um, she, she was one of the shluchas um, par excellence. She used to go and, and influence the women while her husband Avram brought in the men. Yet when it when the Torah identifies Sarah, it says, Hine ba'ohel, she was in a tent. Not that she was in a tent all the time. She was a busy woman. But Rashi says, taught us that she was modest, she had dignity. And then, in fact, when Rivka came to meet Yitzchak, the first thing she did when she glimpsed from afar and she saw Yitzchak, it says, she, she covered herself with a scarf because she was preparing herself for marriage. Just incidentally, the word se'if is an acronym for Amcha Yisrael Tzrichim Parnasa. Your people, Israel, need Parnassa, um, uh, uh, which means um, sustenance, ability to live, and and the the Rebbe used to talk a lot about the bracha, the blessing of of Parnassa for people who are careful hair covering. But again, I'll take that. So it's just an aside at the moment. The the Gemara brings the Talmud in brachas brings um, not in brachas, sorry, in kesubos. It explains about hair covering and it asks the question. Um, what is the difference between Das Moshe and Das Yehudis? Das Moshe explains are laws that come from the Torah, written black and white in the Torah. Das Yehudis, laws of Yehudis, are laws that have been passed through generations of women and accepted through generations of women, and they very much connect and relate to that concept of modesty and personal, personal things like Nida, Areas of nidah for a woman, so that 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 that's so it would seem that das yehudis has a much weaker strength in terms of the obligation. It's it's actually not the case. The, the only difference is the consequence of das motion das yehudis. But that but but I leave that aside. The Gemara asks what's das motion das yehudis and it gives examples. For example, it says that a woman who who is together with her husband when she's a nida, or she doesn't tithe her food, take maister, etc. And Das Yehudis, it says, things to do with, with modesty, and it also includes she goes outside with her hair uncovered. 
Um, the Gemara then, that, sorry, the Mishnah says that. The Gemara then asks a question about that and says, Rosh Hashanah is not hair covering from the Torah. And then it gives a, um, a, 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 it proves that by saying it relates to the concept of the Isha Sota, which is the wayward woman who was who was potentially accused or, or thought of as having had an affair with a man who was not her husband, and she was warned many times. It didn't really happen in 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 essence, but it it, it was it was a it, it was some sort of um, a a process that a woman who was warned constantly not to seclude herself with another man, and she was brought into the base Amigdash. And one of the things that the Torah in Bamidbar tells us, which is where the connection to hair covering comes from in the Torah, is the Kohen had to bring her into the special place and Opara Esrosha Isha had to uncover her hair. Now there's an argument what para means and I'm not going to go through all that now because time is I can sit here for five hours and talk to you. Para in some place in Torah means uncover, some place it means unravel. All the Mepharshim, all the commentaries agree that it's the, it's the combination of both. He first uncovered and then unraveled. And and Rashi and all the Mepharshim, the commentaries explained that Rashi says, Mikan, from here we learn that uncovering a hair was a disgrace for her. So every woman had her hair covered because it's sort of Torah obligated. So the Gemara, the Talmud explains that from here we learn that hair covering for a woman is an obligation. The question is, how much um, and where? And that's that's where, I'll, I'll talk about that more if you want me to later, but um, that those are the questions. But according to every opinion, once a woman is married, her hair has a different nature and therefore she is obligated to cover it, certainly in a public place. And just by the way, that Ramosha Feinstein um, identifies that any place that where people are there, so a home becomes a public place if you're having people over. So it's not necessarily the actual geographical location, it's the people that are found in that location. But so certainly outside. I find it very interesting that you're saying any place where people are, you're not differentiating between genders. And I think that's a, a very mis like there's always a discussion with people who are struggling with the hair covering of like, oh, if I'm in an all women's gym or if I'm in an all women's space, like a swimming pool that just is, is there space in halacha? There is, there is. There definitely, there's, there's different gradations over here. So for example, location is definitely defined. There's what you call shuk, which is the public arena, which is, you know, traditionally the marketplace, but anywhere where people would congregate. Then there's the mavoi, which is the the alleyway, which was the the the, the area where people went from the from the public arena to the private. Then there's the chatzer. People used to live in homes with a courtyard surrounding them, where there were even less people. And then there's the home. And the and the the halacha really discusses and and there's a lot of different discussions about that a lot of different uh, ways of looking at it according to the stricter opinions any of those out, outdoor places considered public and she could not uncover her hair now the gemara going back to the gemara the gemara says that how do we differentiate the dusty hooders and dust moisture aspects and and really what it is is that her hair has to be covered according to dust moisture how she covers it is more of dusty hoodies. So called dusty hoodies, it says she wear kalta. Kalta is like a partial hair covering where some of the hair might be visible, but um, that's not according to all opinions. I'm just going through to the you know the very bare bones, and there definitely are heterium for people to cover less um, and and not as carefully. In amongst Hasidim, it's not the case. It's uh, it's much stricter, and I'll explain later why. But there is a differentiation between men and women because um, there is in halacha a difference. But when one understands why hair is important to be covered, it doesn't really make a difference. In other words, strictly speaking, halachically, there is a difference between showing exposing hair to a man, a woman, a married woman exposing her hair to a man, and exposing her hair in front of a woman. But from the Kabbalistic um, and Hasidic perspective. It's not the case. And even so, in the Gemara, we know the story of Kimchis. So Kimchis was a, um, a woman who lived at the time of the second base on Medash, a second temple. And she 
married her to have seven sons who all potentially could be Kohanim Gadolim, high priests. Now, normally a Kohen Gadol had to die before the next one took over, but they all were able to fill in for each other. Now, that was Nachas beyond because she was, it never happened to anybody else. And the Chachamim came to her and asked her how she merited such an incredible incredible gift of of, of Nachas like this. And she said, the walls of my home, the beams of my home, never ever witnessed the strands of my hair. And the response was, many did that and they didn't have that merit. In other words, this was common. Now, why was she especially rewarded with sons who were Kohanim Gadolim? So Rashi says in that Gemara, the Gemara Yashami actually, that we have the Pasuk that in Tehillim, that kol bas penima, the, the, the beauty, the dignity of a woman is her inner part, her inside, who she is. The mishpasa zahav lebusha, she wears um, gold garments. And a kohen gadol also wore gold. And therefore, that was specifically the, the reward. Also, very specifically also, is that the main service of a kohen gadol was inside the Kodesh HaGadosh Yom Kippur. That's where he reconnected in private. And because she was even careful in the privacy of her home, to be careful, she merited that uh, merit. Just as an aside, it, it said that um, the mother um, of the Chazanish and and that whole family are all very, very, very great people. When she was um, in, in the 1900s in, in Europe, she used to, they didn't have much money. They they are, they once asked Hasnish, how did your mother merit to have such great children? So they, they were very short on money, but one thing her mother did was that she never uncovered her hair ever. And when she washed her hair, she used to hire two women to block the vision of the sink. So she would wash her hair without anyone seeing. And he he believed that was her, that was a schus. So Definitely the Gemara brings that, but Hasidus and, and um, Kabbalah definitely bring the concept of why hair is so powerful and therefore because of its incredible power cannot be uncovered at all and should be con- con- consistently covered. From a halachic standpoint, there are definitely leniencies if one wants to look for the, there are definitely leniencies for how much and where, and um, that's why there are people who say that it's not necessary always to cover it. But um, as I say, um, certainly the, the Rebbe was very, very uh, adamant about hair being covered carefully all the time, bringing the quoting, always quoting the Zohar. And the Zohar, the, the book of the Zohar, which was a, which was a, a key Kabbalistic work, um, explains the Rebbe, interestingly enough, never, ever highlighted the negativities of not covering hair. He always said, let's focus on the positive. And he says, the brachas, the blessings that come from in terms of parnasa, in terms of children and generations of children and the success of one's husband, both physically and spiritually. And uh, the, the brachas are, are just enormous. I always say to people, if somebody told you to eat cucumbers for a month and you'd get all those things, you'd eat cucumbers all month, right? It's just that uh, hair covering is a lot harder. But certainly the Rebbe was very, very adamant about being very, very careful about even in the very innermost parts of your home to be sensitive to this. Just to be clear, because you're being a little euphemistic, when we're talking the innermost parts of the, the home, you're talking about even in your bedroom, if you're able to do that. Is that, is that, am I listening and hearing correctly? Okay, so so there are again gradations. In the bedroom, there are, you know, people, there are some people who are very careful at all times in the bedroom when they're sleeping, when they're intimate at all so times. I want to I clarify, we, we, we define the parameters halachically that they're rather wide, but we also are now saying that there is benefit for being careful even in spaces where halachically it might be okay to uncover. And that's, that's what right. we're so I think another thing that I'm hearing you say is a lot of positivity. And sometimes when women are approaching their hair covering, they feel a little bit of negativity because hair is so personal. Um, and then they'll hear things like, oh, it's erva or, oh, it's so it shouldn't be a mixture for men. Sometimes you hear these type of things. And I think 
that there's so much, po you keep saying the positive power of and due to its spiritual power. And so I think that part of the discussion of why would we even be careful in these spaces has to, has to connect it to, well, what is the power of the hair? What is the positivity that we're trying to access? And aside from it just being a channel for Parnassa, et cetera, what is yeah, that yeah. power that happens in your hair? Okay, I mean, as far as airbrush is concerned, I, it's concerned, I'm going to like touch on that because I think people, you know, we, we have to, we can't ignore that there is, that the Gemara and Brachas brings three things that are considered erva. Erva doesn't, erva doesn't mean it's bad. Erva means it's powerful. It has tremendous power. So it's the, the, the woman's hair, it's her voice, and it's the top of her arm and top of her leg. And from the Gemara is different, so maybe the, the, the lower part of her arm, the lower part of her leg as well. But I won't go into that. And and the Gemara, when it brings that, um, it, it, it uses, it it brings three psukim from different parts of Tanakh to prove its point. And when it talks about hair, it says, it brings the posse in Shira Shirim, the Song of Songs, that says, Your hair is like a flock of goats that cascades down the mountain of Gilad. So it's underscoring that hair is erotic, hair is beautiful, hair is intimate. It's not that hair is bad. Hair is so powerful and so beautiful. And if you look at con contemporary culture about hair, and you said, what's special about hair? Hair defines a woman. Okay, it's the only part of the woman's created for beauty. We don't have hair because it keeps you warm in fact you ask somebody to to describe somebody more often than not they'll say she's a redhead she's a she's a dark she's got blonde she's a blonde because that is something hair power is much is you know hair contact is becomes come to for eye contact it's the first thing subconsciously noticed now i used to teach in a high school where there were uh, it was a mixed high school um most a lot of the kids weren't religious. And I used to observe the girls when they used to be around the boys, and 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 the the body language with the hair was incredible. You know, they used to flip the hair back and take their 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 bubbles out and 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 shake their heads. And it's something that people know. They have they have a hair conveys language. It's very very powerful language with hair, and it's a subconscious thing. And people will spend. I mean, the hair industry is worth billions because if somebody tells somebody that you'll find this product that will actually make your hair look like this and that's your dream you will buy that product it's very powerful and the the natural hair the hair the you know the wind blowing through a hair the 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 feeling of the hair is the first you don't put on makeup you don't your 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 outfit is not perfect if your hair been to a hairdresser and your hair looks amazing you feel confident it does create confidence and that's why it's so so tragic when People lose their hair through um, conditions like alopecia or, or God forbid, um, cancer, and they have to have chemo and their hair falls out. That's, the, that's one of the things that really bothers women tremendously when their hair, because hair does give them a sense of feeling and, and um, positivity. And even throughout the cultures, throughout the cultures, throughout history, you go through history um, in every single period of time, you'll find the way they used to, put the effort into dressing up their hair with all the different accessories and different colorings and powders and and it was high it was poofed it was wide it was and it could even tell you look at photos you even can actually identify periods of time through the hair that people are have on their heads much more than the clothing or the or or, or things around them people put effort into into hair coloring into hair styling into hair cutting even eyebrows, for example, and eyelashes are so important to women. A lot of people used to think in the past that they were just strips of hair over your eyes. People don't realize that even eyebrows can can change the whole feel and the whole look. Hair, hair really is the crown that a woman never takes off. It's it's that feeling of I've got something really important. Um, and every woman knows it intrinsically. Even those who don't mind messy hair there's a statement being made with messy hair. It's not that everybody has to have the same feeling about how their hair has to look. But most people subconsciously are making a statement with their hair much more than any other area. So so um, hair is very, very, very important. And because of its power, it has a tremendous ability to be intimate. So it's not the hair's bad or that's why we cover it. As I said in the beginning, we, we don't cover 
parts of our body, we reveal our neshama, our souls. Because when you look at somebody, you see something much, much deeper through. When the, the parts are covered that shouldn't be revealed, the depth is really is really um, absorbed and uh, people see you differently. We all know that. We all know that. We all know that our hair means a lot to us. And it is a very, very hard mitzvah. It's probably one of the more difficult ones. I think sneers generally is, but hair covering is extremely difficult and people really, really battle with it and struggle with it. But I see it as a big privilege because it does something to you that's very, very special um, on a very deep level. And it's a sensitivity. I think once women, um, I, I, have, I have a community and people, often women start covering their hair. Uh, some, a lot of women cover their hair already, but some of them don't. And it's interesting how they suddenly feel that I just want to cover my hair. I feel something inside me. It doesn't come from an, doesn't come from I saw a, sh- a shaitel that I love. It comes from something inside. They feel very connected to themselves, and they want to do something. And hair covering is often what how they how they plug in. It is a very deep mitzvah. And that's why it's hard because it's so deep. I love the the revealing part rather than covering. I think that's such a powerful point to connect to as you cover your hair to say, well, I'm not actually covering anything. I'm redeeming. I'm I'm revealing the deepest parts of my soul. Now let's talk about the hair coverings that women do use. And I think you see a lot more variations outside the United States. Why would some communities and women prefer to cover with a tichel and some communities and women prefer to cover with a shetel? Why and is there a um, place in halacha for covering certain parts of our hair? Like I see some communities, they cover like almost with a very thick band, but the back is not covered. Some people will specifically cover the back. Like what are what are the differentiations between what we're covering our hair with right okay so again you know we are jews and therefore there's a uh, 10 jews 20 opinions we there are a lot of opinions around and uh, but i'm going to stick to what the halacha says and then move on from that strictly halachically speaking a woman has to cover her hair outside how she covers her hair there are different views some would say that she covers it, you know, in, in the old days, the concept of a started, actually, we can we can trace it back to the Mishnah. Women, uh, the, the, the Mishnah, the Mishnah, the Gemara talks about the fact that are you allowed to carry, is 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 wearing a, a wig, a shaitl, considered to ca- carrying on Shabbos? I mean, so you have to have an Arab. And it was uh, answered it wasn't because it was fine. Now, why? In fact, it wasn't even proper wigs for a lot of people. It was hair extensions. A woman whose hair was sparse was would cover would wear something on her head to make it look thicker. So it wasn't necessarily a full wig. It you know it could have been a, a it could be a wig a bit of a wig with a, with a scarf on top. There have been variations over over the the centuries. That's for sure. Now, certain communities believe that shaitals are not necessarily modest and women should cover their hair with a scarf or a, and, and you can go through different communities. Some have a double covering um, that also has its source in halacha. Um, some some will wear certain types of uh, snoods and scarves and and spitzels and tichels and there's all sorts of variations. Sephardi, Sephardi Jews, um, Ravaji Yosef was very, very um, adamant that women should never wear a shaitel, except if they were divorced or widowed, that they could have a heter for that. They continue, they should continue to come the hair, but a shaitel would be permissible. I think the Rebbe was the, the, the loudest voice in the amongst uh, amongst uh, opinions in terms of specifically a shaitel. And we all know he said that the reason is because when you're wearing um, a scarf, a bit can slip back and it doesn't look so bad, so you wouldn't be so bothered by it. And a shaitel, that would not necessarily be look very attractive. Um, it's interesting because I've thought about this a lot, and I think what the Rebbe was trying to underscore for generations in the future as well was how important it is to cover one's hair properly. Because leaving hair, hair in, in Kabbalistic terms is um is a channel through which divine light comes in the world so god has very powerful divine light with very high voltage and it has to come into this world and hair is one of the mediums through which it gets squeezed into it gets it gets pushed through the the strands of hair it's it's very very it's conceptual it's hard to understand it 
But we're told that hair is a channel, and therefore, because hair embodies with it such powerful light and energy, godly and divine energy, it's very, very. We we have to we have to protect it in a way, and that's why specifically a married woman, once a woman gets married. And she is in creative mode. She's able to create with her husband. She then has to protect her hair even more than before, even more. And in fact, the word for hair in Hebrew, which is se'ar, has same shares the same letters as sha'ar, which means gate. And she creates the gates through which she protects the energy that comes through her, through her husband, into the family through her creative energy. Now, the Rebbe was very, very particular about wearing a shaitel and even not even wearing a shaitel with a hat. Uh, there is a story that he said, you know, it could, if you have a half a shaitel, it's half brachas. Obviously, not a shaitel necessarily indoors, but when a woman goes out of the house, always a shaitel, in order not to allow any hair to be shown. Now, in terms of how much some women cover the front, some the back, the, the real heta that, that is accepted in a lot of circles is the Heter of Moshe Feinstein, um, which says, he, he explains because it says tefach be'isha erva, a tefach measurement, which is like a hand breadth measurement of a woman is considered erva, an erotic stimulus, therefore less than a tefach, and it's very specific how much is less, around the front is permissible to be uncovered. The Rebbe never accepted that, and the Rebbe was very adamant that it's not acceptable. But this was a hetter of Moshe Feinstein. Some people say that it was a very specific hetter of a specific person. It wasn't a general hetter. In terms of the back, Moshe Feinstein only said the front, the forehead, and the ears. I have a lot of women who, who say, you know, they have their hair covered on the front and not the back. There's hair sticking out. And in my shiurim on this, you know, they've asked me this, and I said, and they said, this rabbi, that rabbi allows it. I have asked Rabbonim in all from all communities, and I've never got anyone who told me that it's okay. Uh, the only heter that is acceptable across the board, across not across the board, but by a lot of people from a very strong source is Moshe Feinstein, who says two fingers breadth at the front, two fingers worth at the front and the sides. No one's ever said the back. The reason why some people do it is they say that it says that the, the hair is, is is erva and not the head, and therefore it's because it's a less than a tefach, it's okay. There's all different justifications what people that people have, but certainly um, certainly in Chabad, it was never acceptable, and in all Hasidic communities, it wasn't. When I teach people, I do sometimes, depending on who it is on this area, on this topic, I do sometimes say start with that because they want to start somewhere and not... It's not all or nothing. Also, a lot of women I find we will they'll first they'll start off by wearing a shaitel on Shabbos. Most of those women cover fully all the time in a very short space of time because, as I say, it sensitizes them to to who they to who they are and to the essence of their of their neshamas. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about lace shaitels. I love my lace shaitel. I look back to when. My shaitel was an inch off my head, and I think to myself, it's so obvious that I'm covering my hair, and here it's so not. In fact, when the lace shaitels first came out, I remember being in Crown Heights, and like my eyes were popping out. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I went over to somebody, this is a true story, and I said to her, your shaitel is amazing. Tell me where it's from. And she looked at me and she said, I'm not wearing a shaitel, I'm not married. I couldn't tell the difference between who was wearing one and who wasn't. And I, I'd love to hear what Rabbanim are saying or even your personal hashkafa about the lace. Okay. I want to just give a little bit of a uh, some clarity about shaitels and the tzniyas aspect of shaitels. So one has to cover one's hair. How one covers is connected to the idea of modesty and tzniyas. So if a woman covers her hair, it, it, whatever her community decides is okay or acceptable, appropriate, she needs to feel that she's covering her hair. Okay, she needs to know she's covering her hair. Then she has to also know that the covering, just like any woman who, you know, I have, 
invariably when I when I talk about this, I have women who say to me who are not yet covering, who are saying, yeah, but you look at these women with their shaitals, they look much prettier than 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 my hair that looks a mess. So I say hair covering is like clothing. We're not expected to uh, we're expected to, to cover our bodies. How we cover our bodies has to be connected to modesty. Okay, so you can't say, oh, her clothing looks much more attractive than her body, and therefore it's not okay. She something in her changes when she's covering because she's revealing something deeper in her. And it's the same thing. However, I have a general rule. If the wig walks into the room before you do, you're not wearing the right wig. <laughs> in other words, you have to compliment that shaitel. You can't look like the shaitel is like so extraordinarily uh, out of the ordinary that it just almost feels like it's detached. You. you have to be a complete person looking beautiful within and without. In terms of lace, there's definitely a very big discussion about this. The reason there's a discussion about it, because in some communities they believe that a shaitel in order in order to be a shaitel has to look like a shaitel. In other words, when they started wearing shaitels at the time of the Mishnah Gemara, they looked like shaitels. They did not look, or our great grandmothers in Russia looked like they were wearing shaitels. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, and, and I'm very careful with my words, because I definitely uh, uh, respect the the views of every rav in their community and and everyone should follow that and i wouldn't say that's ridiculous it's not ridiculous you know kolakavod's people who are sensitizing themselves to to dignity and to modesty and to internal um uh understanding of who they are as as, as a jewish woman but a woman every woman knows she's wearing a shaitel whether it's lace or not lace i would say lace personally i would say lace should be lined because if you're wearing lace that is unlined, you can see the hair, and that's a problem, um, halachically. So lace should be lined. Um, but every, but it's certainly in, in, in Chabad, it's not considered as, as a problem, and in many communities, it's not either. I don't necessarily think, I think women should feel attractive. There's no, there's no law that says a woman should feel awful. A woman should, when a woman feels attractive, she feels good about herself. But she should be attractive and not attracting and not provocative. And and just like her her clothing shouldn't be provocative, so should her shade not be provocative. But if it makes her feel good, and within her community, I have a lot of colours if they me and say, What's the what's the rules about lace? And say so you have to speak to your own rough. You know, you can't I don't think it's a blanket, um, but certainly if if a woman there are a lot of lace shades that look very, very refined. And there's a lot of non-lace shaitels that don't look refined at all. So I don't know if it's the lace or not lace, I think, but I think that lace needs to be lined in order for hair not to be visible. And that also goes with the concept of long shaitels. Uh, when a like, shaitel is too long and it's just it just it just hits the eye. Um in when it, I'm not saying long shouldn't be allowed, but I'm saying when any shaitel is too long, too wild, too in the face. It doesn't really actually, um, it doesn't create a wholesomeness with the woman wearing it. It's just separate. And and therefore, every woman wearing a shaitel should consider, does this reflect the real me or is it something detached from me? Can we talk about length for a minute, though? Can we go more into that? Because I know that in some communities, length can also be contested. Some people feel that it's not sneas to have hair that's longer than shoulder length. And some of these shaitels are so long, so beautiful. <laughs> so again, is that a yeah. question that one should ask the Okay. So even, you know, the communities that are, that are contesting it also are critical of, of single girls having hair that's very long because it's very, very, it can be attracting. It could be, it could be, uh, you know, sending, the messages that we're not trying to send. Um, again, I'm not. I'm not a posek. I can't. Don't paskin on what people should wear, and but I do respect different communities, and I do respect. You know, I don't. I think when it comes to like, just wear something that makes you look like you know. Uh, if you don't feel good, it doesn't matter as long as your hair wearing something on your hair. I don't necessarily agree. I think a woman has to feel beautiful. It's very very important for a woman to feel beautiful, to feel attractive to herself to feel like she's 
walking out the house and she, you know, and she just feels good. You know, when your shackles a mess and you don't, it, it, you, you just don't feel the same as if you just, you just had it washed and, and blowed and, and you feel just like it's just, there's, there's a good feeling. But one does always have to consider the concept of, of um, being Sanua and what, you know, what it entails. You know, I spoke earlier about the concept of when Asma Khaba were in Ghanaian. The idea that they were not clothed and they had to be clothed as a, as a, to bring back a tick on a rectification for their bodies and souls. Clothing, when they were in Ghanaian, their bodies and souls were very aligned. And clothing allows that to happen. It allows to bring. So that's why the Kohen Godel, for example, had to wear the clothes in the in the in in the service of the Beit Hamikdash in Temple, because it would align his body with his avoda, his service to Hashem. It would be a very the clothing itself created an aura of holiness. It wasn't like it was him, and then there was the clothing. The clothing itself created that, and that's why in every area, that's why a talis can create when a, when a man puts a talis on it brings him to a state of mind to fill in and women in all the clothing they wear also creates a state of mind i think that's also true in a very um spiritual way but also physical way and physicality is really spirituality as well you can't really separate them so when a woman feels really good about herself she is ready to do what she has to do However, there are boundaries, and boundaries are very, very important. It's very important to to um, the problem with once you once you start lessening a boundary, it just goes downhill, and that's where a lot of people oh, it's a bit longer, it's a bit less, it's a bit it's a bit more revealed. It's one has to always ask oneself oneself the question: Am I lessening the boundaries so I'm less sensitive to the Kedusha of what I'm doing, or am I being honest with the boundaries so I'm actually sensitizing myself to what, why I'm covering my hair in the first place? So one of the things that's very interesting here is you speak about the beauty, right? Um, and I think that women sh should feel beautiful, need to feel beautiful when doing everything that they're doing. It's an integral part of our identity. Um, yeah. And I actually, I speak a lot to middle schoolers right now because I feel very passionately that that's the beginning of their self-identity. And if we talk about yeah. these things, you know, we're not, you know, we're not getting at a point where they already are struggling. We can talk about this. Um, and one of the things that I talk about is feeling good in your body and feeling positive in your body. And I bring Sneas up as an example, because I think there's, it's, sometimes we have, we subscribe or ascribe to societal norms of beauty, which are always fluctuating. And when you're trying to be beautiful in the sense of what others are dictating to you is beautiful, you sometimes feel objectified and you sometimes feel like you're, you're not authentic. You're not authentic to who you are. So I think that an important differentiation when we're using the word beautiful is what are we talking about? We're talking about a level of self-dignity and self-respect and a revealing of your inner authenticity. So it's not necessarily when we're saying a shagel has to be beautiful. We're not saying it has to be beautiful according to societal norms. It has to express the beauty of who you are. So it shouldn't be old and ratty and tatty and whatever. It should match you and it should look, you know, what it's supposed to be. But that doesn't mean it has to be. I'm very bad at measurements and math. Well, well, well beautiful is very, very subjective. You know, right. some people will say that, you know, pink spiky hair is beautiful. And that's very subjective to what people. We do have a very clear guideline. <laughs> And that's what, you know, Halakha gives us the guideline. Uh, our teachers give us the guidelines. And we have to really be very loyal to that. I was just talking today. I do a course here in, in schools in it's what's uh, year six, which I guess in, in America is, is sixth or seventh grade. They go into, they, over here, they, they finish um, year six. They go to high school in year seven, which is seventh grade, when they're about 11, 12. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a course on the growing up, the growing up course it's called do it in a whole bunch of schools and talk about the physical, spiritual, emotional and social changes and, and development. So I talk, so I, I do, I, it's like a whole program and I explain to them the concept of the body and the sham and I say, your body's like a walking safe Torah. It's like something so holy and special 
And that's why you value. If you see a Sepatura in short, it's you're so careful with how you handle it. Such beautiful coverings. You do it such respect. And in fact, anything that you really value, if you have an antique, you don't leave it on the kitchen table, you put it behind glass in a special case. Manuscripts, anything of real value that you really think is important is handled and given the care and covered in the correct and appropriate way. Not because you are hiding it. And if you believe the body is beautiful, because Hashem created it as a as as the case for the soul, and they align together as one to serve him, then you'll 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 find ways to express that in a real, authentic way. And and you won't first of all, there's no shame in the body. Everything is very, very God doesn't create anything that's bad. It's beautiful, but what we we that what we value, we encase appropriately in the correct things. I was going to say it's a very interesting medrash. I'm not sure where it comes from, but I heard we we're very careful about our modesty. And there's another, which is at this time, uh, you know, that we're in now. There's another um, society, the Islamic society, is very careful about the modesty to the extent the very religious ones they cover. I don't know about in America, but over here you see. They wear the hijabs and their whole face is covered and they just just about can see through some slits in the eyes. Now, they cover and we cover. Why? Now, they cover with robes where the shape of their body is completely not. We don't believe in that because we believe that there's nothing wrong with the body. We don't have to hide the body. We have to cover, as I said, to reveal something deeper. But why don't we cover our faces? If the face could be stunningly beautiful and we don't cover our faces, because the face contains the eyes, and the eyes the window to the soul. And so you can never, ever deviate by looking at somebody's face. The face is a very, very holy part. And if we believe that our body is, is holy and, and therefore needs different treatments in different areas, we're told very specifically that even though hair is very holy, I'm not going to go into the whole thing now because the Kabbalah explains why a woman's hair dafka has to be covered. I don't know how much time we have, but it's... it's um. A woman's hair dafka has to be covered, because, not because it's bad, because it's got it, it. It contains a very high energy, and therefore has to be covered. Interesting enough, Kabbalah says that it shouldn't be cut completely; it shouldn't be shaved, like in some communities where they do shave their hair, because they feel that that links to the to the idea of the beams of the house should never see any strands of hair, and if there's no hair, there's nothing to see. But Kabbalah does not um, mandate that because even though the hair, because the hair has high energy, it needs to be contained by the cover. That's the woman, the married one's hair, but not completely eliminated. But if we believe that that beauty is how Hashem dictates beauty, because Hashem created us, He understands what beauty is, and and therefore He says you want to reveal that real beauty, that not that very very not that very superficial beauty only but something that has real essence then i'll give you the recipe and that's why we have to follow it do we understand it always no and it doesn't always make sense and it's hard very 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 hard but it and that's why i said earlier that sneers is a midda it sensitizes us to who we really are it and that is why you'll find i always tell girls this that there are people walking the streets with very little on in the summer. They don't, they're not sensitive to their body. And uh, like a, a girl who is sensitive is, will never will never walk in the street with half those things missing, half those clothes missing. Not because they're embarrassed, because they understand that this is not reflective of who they are. So we have our guidelines of what beauty is. Um, you asked earlier, you know, what what's beauty? Yeah, the world has, and it fluctuates, it's true. Because what looked beautiful 100 years ago is not necessarily considered beautiful now. And that's why we have our very specific boundaries, which we must uphold. It's interesting. My mother used to say growing up that you can trust a woman's kashras based on her tzniyas. She used to say, we, look, we grew up in Ottawa, so we weren't sure whose house we could eat at, whose house we couldn't. So she's, I had always thought she made that up, but she decided no, someone it's true. covers it's true. No, a lot of Rabban will say that. The woman who's careful had sneers, it shows Yerushalayim. And a woman who has Yerushalayim can be, can be implicitly trusted with her kashras. It's not, it's not mathematical. There are women <laughs> who are very, 
you know, who are not so careful yet, and yet they're very careful of kashras, and they're women who are and are not. So, but generally, it, it boils down to Yerushalayim, fear of heaven, is very much an inner appreciation. And so is Sneas. <laughs> it's It goes hand in hand. Yerushalayim and Sneas are both very much part of the inner self. No one's going to, no one can measure Yerushalayim. It's something that you have inside you. That that's the concept of Kimchis in the Gemara. She, she was careful. She was given sons because she was careful when no one was looking, not when everybody was looking, and that's why she merited Dafka Kohanim Gedolim and not other rewards, because she understood what it meant to be careful when no one is looking, not just out there. So it's a very much a sensitivity that people develop, and I feel that people whose sensitivity is a little lost will become much less careful in these areas. So it's very uh, a very interesting thing to think about and to ponder. But I wonder, as our time here is nearing an end, I wonder if there is some story that you find, aside for Kimchis, which we've spoken about several times, maybe something that women can relate to a little bit more. Are there... Is there a particular story or case you've been involved okay, in? I can, I can, I can mention a couple quickly. So there's a story of the Rebbe Rashab. There was, there was a decree that, I can't remember the year, I haven't got it in front of me, the date, sometime in the 1800s, where the Russian authorities forbade women to wear their hair covering, which was called knuffin. It was some sort of scarf they wrapped around their heads. Under penalty of death or, or, or imprisonment, I don't know exactly what the, 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 the punishment was, but very, very severe. And many, many women uh, took off their hair coverings. They were, they, you know, which we can't judge, but they did. There were some very loyal women who didn't. Now, ten years later, there was the decree of the Cantonists, where they, where they used to kidnap Jewish boys to be taken into the army for twenty-five years and be russified completely, forget um, under torture forget any connection to Judaism and and also forget their families, which was a very, very tragic uh, time for the for the Yidden in, in Russia at the time. The, the, Rosh, the Rebbe Rashab mentioned that those women who had the mysterious nefesh, had the self-sacrifice not to discard their hair coverings were the ones whose ch- children were saved. Now, I didn't make that up, but definitely we're told, and the Zohar says, that women who have that, it's because it is mysterious nefesh, it's very hard, have tremendous bracha that comes out of it. Another story I'll tell you that happened very recently, somebody that I know, she is a from woman, but I would say modern from, you know, in the modern orthodox community, lovely lady. Her son went to yeshiva and became very, very, quite much more sort of Haredi, as she would say. And he was in Shiva for four years, which was completely not in line with how they, you know, Shiva for a year, possibly two, and then university. But he stayed four years in Israel, Shiva, came back and he said, I'm coming, before he came back, he said, I'm coming back, I want a shidduch. Not that I should like hang out and meet a girl. I want a proper, regular shidduch. And she panicked and she thought, how do I do this? I don't know how to do this. That's not how she met her husband. She'd always promised him by his bar mitzvah, he asked her to cover her hair because he was already starting to get into that. And she said, I can't do it. But she said, when you're about to get engaged, at your engagement, I will cover my hair. She didn't know how to go about the whole shit up thing. So she thought, you know what? I'll do the other thing. She went to the, she, she didn't want to buy an expensive shaitel because she thought, even though she could have, she thought, I'm never going to really wear it. So she went to somebody who did secondhand shaitels, a lovely lady in the in the area. And she said, you know, I feel very strange doing this. But, you know, she told the story about her son. And she says, oh, what's your son like? And she said, I've got a girl. Her son comes back, meets the girl. Three weeks later, they're engaged. She wore the shaitl and I met her. She wore the shaitl at the wedding. Her husband told the story at the wedding. I met her recently, just in my area. And she said to me, that's it. I'm wearing the shaitl. I feel it now. I always wanted to. But this is, I see Yad Hashem that I took on this huge thing. For her, it was huge. And her son is, is, has a beautiful marriage. 
So it's just a, a nice story to share. It was a very, everybody was very uh, excited about that story. Then one more thing that, that touched me hugely when I read it, and I can't find where I read it, but I know that I read it. The Rebbe was very, very particular when he was Masada, the days that he was Masada Kedushin, that the girl had to uh, commit to wearing a shaitl after she was married. In those days, wearing a shaitl was, uh, was very difficult for most women. When in the time, I think it was in the 60s, and many people couldn't stand by it. So this, a, a bocha came to the Rebbe and said he wants the Rebbe to be Kedushin. And the Rebbe said, is she going to wear a shaitl um, once she's married? And he says she doesn't want to. He said, oh, I can't be Masada Kedushin. Anyway, the Bokha very much wanted her to. Two days before the wedding or a day before, he comes back to the Rebbe. In those days, people could go into the Rebbe to talk to him. And he says she's agreed to wear a shaitl. The Rebbe says, sorry, it's too late. It takes me four days to summon four generations of Rabbein to come to the chuppah with me when I, when I do a chuppah. And I'm really sorry. I need, I, you know, a day before is too late. And I thought that was such an incredible thing because the Rebbe didn't only do it because it looked good or it was his communal minhag to do it. He really believed that it made a difference in bringing up not only one's children, as it says in the Zohar, it will affect children, children's children, all generations. And the 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 the, the analogy it brings and also the Medrash brings this analogy, it says, Eshtchach Gefen Peria. Your wife will become like a fruitful vine. She'll have children who will be like olive plants round her table. Why olive plants? Because olives are good in the summer and the winter all year round. And then it continues in the Tehillim there. See children and children's children and have peace in Israel. So that takes you back to the to the beginning of your uh, of your uh, discussion where you say that this is something that people are taking on for um for, for help with 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 our situation Eric Israel and please go Mashiach it tremend people don't know the impact of what it does for a family when a woman is careful about hair covering it's not just a cosmetic change in how you appear it has an effect you know the Zohar is not just a random it, this and and there are many capitalistic and many 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 sources. I mean, I, obviously, I haven't got the time, but please go. My book comes out. You can buy it and see everything in it. The the, the impact of hair covering is huge, not only for you, yourself, and not only for your husband, but for your grandchildren. And I don't think anyone wants to miss out on that. I can tell you from experience. You always want to have nachos from your grandchildren as well as your children. So I would definitely. Say, you know, I believe it's a great product. Just go there and get it and uh, and wear it with pride. Powerful, powerful. Thank you for sharing this string of stories and all the wisdom and insight that you've given over. It's interesting because you said back then the mitzvah of hair covering was hard. I come across women and I can even remember times in my life where the mitzvah covering is hard, hair covering is hard too. It can get expensive. You don't like how your shaitel came out. You don't like how you look in it. And I actually do this thing. I I self-talk. So every morning when I put on my shaitel, I tell myself, I love my shaitel. I love doing this mitzvah. And it's helped also increase like my positive feelings towards covering my hair because it still can be really hard. It is. I mean, I I miss. I'm married nearly forty years, Baruch Hashem, um, and I still miss that feeling of driving and the wind going through my hair. <laughs> I miss it um, a lot. But I tell you what, I would sum it up with one word, and that's attitude. It's like everything. Everything is about attitude. You know, raising children and doing mitzvahs and 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 learning and having kashras and sharpness. Everything's attitude. You have the right attitude, we can do it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you so, so much. I, Rifki and I are so grateful to you for giving of your time today. If our listeners want to get a hold of you, we actually have a really engaged crowd. Usually there's a lot of questions coming our way into our podcast interviewees. So if they do want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? So I have an email address, but I, I'm very, very busy. So I can't uh, constantly uh, answer questions. 
as I say, I am putting it, I, you know, in a, in a book, and I'm really desperate to get it out there soon. And it's just I've got a million other things that I'm doing as well, so that it's a time thing. But if they want to, if they need to. I'm passionate about this mitzvah, and if it means that somebody can increase their uh, observance of this mitzvah and their love for this mitzvah, then I definitely will. My email address is r e b l i e b. It's Reb Lieb, as in Rebertson Lieberman. Um, R-E-B-L-I-E-B at gmail.com. You just gave out your email address to a couple thousand women across the world. <laughs> <laughs> Thank okay, you. My phone's going to crash. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank okay. you so, so much. Love with all your amazing work. Keep going. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed and grew. Original music of Shamil's Nigan provided by Hazan David Katak. We look forward to your input, feedback, and suggestions. We also have partnership opportunities available. Please email info at bodiessouls.com. Again, info at bodiessouls.com with two S's. Thank you. Thank you.